James chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts at war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So as we're thinking about our meetings coming up, I thought I'd talk about tonight some hindrances to revival. Some hindrances to revival. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to assemble together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the songs that we sing uh, to lift our voice in praise and worship to thee. And I pray as we look into the word of God tonight, as we consider uh, revival and reviving our own hearts, I pray that you would uh, help us and prepare our hearts for uh, the week of meetings ahead when we'll be hearing the preaching of God's Word, your Word each night, and uh, may we allow it to work in our hearts, and may our, we come prepared, uh, seeking, and um, open, and receptive to hear. So Lord, just have your will anyway. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what is revival? You know, there's some misunderstanding of what revival is. The word revival really means a bringing or coming back into use, attention, or being after a decline. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a revival type person. Now let me explain that. I like to bring home junk, what people think is junk, and fix it and get it working again. Um... You know, I, I just love doing it. I hate throwing stuff away. I like to fix it. You know, sometimes you have to come to the point where is it going to cost more to fix it than it's worth, so then it's time to throw it away. But, you know, there's a lot of things out there that people throw away that can be revived. And so, you know, I, I like doing that. But, so revival, but as we think about revival, it's a bringing back into use of something that already exists. And so we're not talking about, when we talk about revival, we're not really talking about souls being saved. That's new life. That's not a revival of, of something. That's new life. But So when the Bible talks about reviving, it, it's talking about bringing something back into use. Let me give you an illustration. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4.2. And he spake before his brethren, and the army of Samaria said, What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end of the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burnt? In other words, is, is Nehemiah going to somehow revive these stones and make them useful again? <laughs> yeah, in 52 days he did. And they were like, oh. 
you know. Yeah, he revived those stones out of the rubbish. And, of course, these were the people of Samaria and the enemies of Israel who were mocking and saying, you know, does he think he's going to revive these stones out of the rubbish? Yeah. Uh, Psalm 85, 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy, pe- thy people may rejoice in thee? So, Revival is really talking about God's people. It's a, it's a rededication, a renewal of consecration of God's people to obey and do the will of God as revealed in His Word. And so tonight we'll look at some things that are hinder and some things we need to do in preparation for that. Uh, we, as we consider here James chapter 4, and there's several things. First of all, wars and fightings among you. Verse, four, verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. Your wars and fightings among you could refer to party cliques, divisions. You know, James, the book of James himself talks about uh, some issues that he addressed uh, where there was a favoritism for the wealthy over the poor uh, in this assembly. And, you know, obviously, there had to be an assembly for there to be poor and wealthy in it. And, and he says in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly any man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. Say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in your shells and become judges of evil thoughts? You know, one of the things that can hinder a church is this idea of respect of persons. In our Bible Institute's class on Tuesday night, one of the things that the, the Brother Sergeant brought out of the book we're using is, you know, a pastor can't be a respecter of persons. You know, we always tend, we, as human beings, we tend to be nicer to those people we like and that are nice to us. But just because a person's nice doesn't mean they should be able to get away with anything anybody else does. Doesn't mean we should show favoritism to them. We're not to be a respecter of persons. We're to treat people equally, even those that rub us the wrong way. And, you know, oftentimes there's people, you know, sometimes it's those people that rub you the wrong way that can teach you the most about yourself. Because it makes you, if you're thinking, it'll make you examine yourself. You know, and it'll make you, it'll, make, it'll, it'll encourage you or challenge you to be a person that's not easily offended. And, you know, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And so, so these party cliques, you know, wars and fightings among you, uh, you know, showing favoritism. Uh, there was fighting, angry, anger, hatred. All these things were part of this assembly. You know, I, I never heard this quite said like this before. Pastor Webb said on our anniversary Sunday, some of the worst battles and the hardest, most difficult things happen in churches. Because... You know, religion is the thing usually that people feel the most vehement about or serious about. And so, you know, and the sad thing is that many times because of battles that go on churches, people quit going to church. That's not the right answer. It's not the right answer. 
is to try and endeavor to solve your problems or look for another church. Um, but, you know, if, if that, that needs be. So, so, so the, the, there's these wars among you. Uh, we're not to be a respected person. And they come, he says they come, come where, he says, come they not hence. He asks the question from whence come, and then he says, come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members. Now, our own lust, the word lust here means pleasure, or that which pleases us. That which pleases us. You're persisting in our own way. You know, it's, it's my way or the highway, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, we don't want to be those kind of people. We want to, you know, James tells us here in chapter 3, Verse 15, this wisdom cometh, sendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But wisdom is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So the wisdom that is from above, God wants his people to be easily entreated. You know, you can disagree with somebody and still be easily entreated. You know, we're, we, we're, there's many people in the world that we are going to disagree with. You know, I've said sometimes and I've heard other people say it, sometimes I don't even agree with myself, you know. Uh, you know so there are going to be people we're going to disagree with, but we need to, we need to learn that we're not to control them. They're not responsible to us. So we should be easily entreated. They should be able to, they should be able to present their case to us and us not get offended. You know, if, if a person gets offended when they're addressed with something, usually it indicates they're not so sure about what they believe. A little uncertainty there. <laughs> I remember we were in Maine years ago. And a neighboring church had George Grant, evangelist George Grant. George Grant, prior to his salvation, was a professional wrestler. He was called Gorgeous George. He had long, blonde hair. Well, he was, he didn't have long, blonde hair when he was preaching, of course. But when he was a, a professional wrestler, you can look him up, George Grant. But anyway, he became an evangelist, and he was... He was talking to me one time after the service. We were at the pastor's house, and he was talking about divorce and remarriage. And, uh, and I just, I kind of listened to him, and I said, I don't agree. He said, you really don't care what I think, do I? I said, not really. <laughs> you know, yeah. and he was, he was playing, what he was doing was playing the devil with the advocate to see what I was going to say. That's what he was really, because he really did agree with me, but he was, he was trying to put me on the spot. And he kind of goes, you don't really care what I, what I, whether what I say, do you? He said, not really. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but see, he says here, these, these wars come of our own lusts, of our own lusts. We desire to have our way. You know, Balaam put himself at odds with God and the people of God because he persisted in having his own way. Yeah, God told him, don't go. And when the, angel, or when the 
king of Moab sent more messengers. So he goes back and they ask it. God already said no. You know? And his own prophecy even condemned him for it when, when he did prophesy about the nation of Israel or to, to, the, uh, to the king of Moab concerning the nation of Israel, he says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. God's not going to change his mind. So why did he ask again? You know, this was something he already knew. But see, he was so, so uh, adamant about getting those riches, so desirous of those riches, and desiring of them, lusting for them, that he, he, he would go against what God said. That's where we often get into trouble. He was so anxious. You know, Psalm 106, verse 13, 13 through 15, the Bible speaks of Israel as getting what they wanting, but losing what they had. In other words, they persisted again in their own pleasures. And so they lost the fellowship, the favor, the protection of Almighty God. Uh, and of course, this is, you know, we could categorize these things by, by several things. Pride. Uh, he says, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, can obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You know, this is, this is the fruit of pride. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride cometh contention, but with well advised is wisdom. You know, we better get our advice from the word of God. You know, his word is wisdom. But so often we persist in our own way, and we and we don't want we don't want uh, to be told differently. You know, bitterness, holding others accountable to us, or trying to be controlling. You know, there's you know, sad to say, but sometimes people in leadership want to control people. You know, I remember counseling with a young man in Maine who was getting into trouble. He got caught with some other kids. He was on a roof of a building on the corner of a street throwing stones at cars. And um, he also had, been, uh, had brought some marijuana to a youth activity. So he was getting in trouble, starting to get in trouble with the law. And I, I had him in the office one day and I was talking to him. And I said to him, I said, and, I, and, and I, I gave him a few verses of Scripture. You know, the proverb says the way of the transgressors is hard. And, uh, and some other things. And I said, you know, I'm concerned about the direction you're going. And, but this is what I said to him. You're going to have to decide. You know, here, here, and I gave him, there's two, here's two paths. You can, you can seek to please the Lord and have the blessing of God and the favor of God. And Psalm 1 says, you'll be like a tree that's planted by the river's water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Or you can go your own way and do your own thing, but I can assure you that the way of the transgressor is hard. Life is going to be hard for you. I said, now, you have a choice. Which way are you going to go? You know, I can't make him. I can't make the choice for him. He had to make the choice. Sad he made the wrong choice. His life has never been well. 
uh, you know, bitterness is holding, uh, wanting, wanting to hold others accountable to us, of an unwillingness to forgive or let go, uh, wanting vengeance. You know, Romans 12 says, Vengeance is mine, I repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. So, uh, bitterness, pride, bitterness, uh, self-centered motives. Notice in verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Now, the word amiss means improperly or wrongly with bad intent. You know, it has the idea with bad intent. In other words, you're not asking, is this God's will or for the glory of God? You're asking it for yourself. You're asking it for yourself. Uh, you know, you know, think of bad intent. You know, Ahab said, I'll just kill him so I can get his vineyard. It's bad intent. But look at Matthew. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 10 and try and give an illustration here. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Matthew 10 verse 34 says this. uh, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now, this seems like a contradictory statement to some some other portions of Scripture, because Jesus said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers. And yet here he says, think not that I'm come to send peace. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, from a world's perspective, he is the cause of division. Now, when it says to set a man at variance against his father, the word variance means different or diverse. Different or diverse. So, he's come to set a man at a difference against his father. You know, some of you have told me about how when you got saved, it set, really, it set your father or your family members against you. Not because they disliked you anymore, but it was who you live for. And so Jesus saying that this is what's going. This is uh, this is going to happen to you. This is you know I'm the cause for this because you know in John 16 he said they hated me they're going to hate you, and they don't hate you because of you they hate you because of him. And and the difference is you know and I think some of it is. They cannot control or dominate. Look at, look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Try and follow my reasoning here. John chapter 9, verse 18. Jesus heals this blind man. 
In verse 18 it says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that is, concerning Jesus, neither did they believe, or, or they didn't even believe about the blind man. And this is what this is about. That he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, say, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agree, agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Now, go to chapter 11, verse 48. Chapter 11, verse 48. If we let thus alone, if we let this Jesus continue as he is, that's the context here. So if we let this thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So tell me, why did they hate Jesus? Because he was a threat to their control and domination over the people. You see, they didn't want to submit to him because they thought if they submitted to him, we're going to lose control of the people. I mean, they were really good at dealing with the Romans. And their thinking was, if we submit to this Jesus, we're going to lose our place, our preeminence in the government and working with Rome. We're no longer going to have control. You know, the sad thing is, if they would have submitted, they'd have probably saved their people from destruction. You know, they did retain control. And Jerusalem got destroyed. You see, submission is the way to success. Submission to God. And so... You know, not not self-seeking or not asking amiss or not giving in to our own lusts. Uh, you know, so when you pray, do you pray? Do you seek the glory of God? Is that what's on your mind or yours? You know, God can't. We can't God expect God to bless and honor and favor us if we are divided in our loyalties. In other words. Do you pray for God's will in your life or are you praying for God to bless your will? That's the thing we need to ask ourselves. You know, as we come to the services, when do you consider, what does the Lord have for me? What's the Lord have for me? Now, that's not selfish. That's a sincere desire to have the truth and apply the truth. Now, that may require, if you're going to come with that attitude, that may, God may expect some change in your life. But it'll be for His glory and your good. And so, you know, we should consider, what does the Lord have for me? Lord, show me my sin, where I need to change. 
Let's look at a couple of verses here. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. And this is, this is what we need to do as we think about uh, revival or week of meetings. You know, it's an opportunity for the Lord night after night to challenge our hearts, to inspect our lives and allow the Spirit of God to, to work in our lives. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5, says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. You know, when I, when I read that, let none that wait on thee be ashamed, it reminds me of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. And she just, she just took it in. You know, and, and she, as difficult as it was for her, she understood that her Lord was going to die. And she accepted it. But I'm sure it brought tears. I'm sure it broke her heart. But she knew it must be. She knew it must be. Verse 4, show me thy paths, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day long. Chapter 43 in verse 3, chapter 43 and verse 3, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Notice, let them lead me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let them, thy light and thy truth, lead me. Let them bring me into thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So as we come to those conservances, you know, we need to come with an open heart. And this is really what James is talking about here when, when he says in verse uh, 7 and 8, and I don't have time to, to look at all this, but verses 7 and 8, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So we need to come to God in submission, uh, being submitted to the Lord, allowing the word of God to search our hearts by his spirit. Show me where I need to change. We must cast off the friendship of the world. Verse 4, ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. We have to be willing to throw off the friendship of the world. You know, there are things in the world that we like. That we, that, that we consider our friends. But if they get in the way, and they may not be wrong. They may not necessarily be wrong. But it can become an idol. It could become an idol. The world's philosophies are the things of this world. Uh, and of course, we also need to, be, need to be allow the Lord to speak to our hearts concerning personal holiness. You know, lack of personal holiness. Uh, 
In verse 5, it says, Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the pride, but he giveth grace unto the humble. So, so, so God's going to work in our hearts to, to bring us in submission to Him and to make us more like Himself. And to make Him more like Himself, we have to become holy. Because God is holy. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is also of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God dwells with those who of our contrite. That word contrite means to be broken, to be beaten to pieces. If, if you and I are going to walk with God, if we're going to have that close relationship with God, we've got to, we got to, get, we got to, we got to mortify the flesh, as Colossians 3 tells us. Your members, mortify you therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he, he gives a list of, of sinful things. We've got to mortify it. You know, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, so he lists two things there that we need to follow, peace and holiness. So as we're considering about our subject we're talking about right now is holiness. So follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. The word follow means to pursue, to seek eagerly, to earnestly endeavor to acquire. If a person is not seeking holiness... Bible says, that man shall not see the Lord. He's not going to behold the Lord. Because the Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. You know, the world has this mindset. I'm reading a book. It's called uh, Nehushtan. Pastor Les Potter out in Wyoming wrote it. And it's really about how in Christian circles we've made God into some idol. We made God into what we want him to be and formed our own philosophy of what Christianity is. Just like the children of Israel took that brass serpent that Moses made, remember that brass serpent in the wilderness? And that brass serpent pictured the Lord Jesus Christ bearing our sin for us. Well, Come to Nehemiah's day, and Nehemiah is destroying all the idols and the groves and the high places, and he took that brass serpent and he called it Nehushtan. There's a meaning for that, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, because they were they had lost the idea that this pictures a savior who would who would take our sin upon himself. Brass speaks of judgment, and so so it, it, it pictures Faith in one who would who would take their judgment, and, and again, and in its place, they made it some kind of idol, something to be worshipped, and that wasn't the idea of it. And so Nehemiah burned the thing. It was something that God had made, but the children of Israel had perverted it, so he burned it. So we got a lot of people, a lot of a lot of churches and Christians that are perverting who God is, and they've set up their own idol of who God is. He's this contemporary God that though they 
say they love him in their heart. And this is what they say. All that matters is the heart. As long as you're right in your heart, nothing else matters. The only problem is there's too many verses of the Bible that contradict that. In fact, this one right here. If you're not pursuing holiness, and we're talking about holiness that affects your living. You know, First Peter, uh, where are we here? First Peter 1. Look at First Peter 1 and verse 13. First Peter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gourd up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be wrought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Now, let me stop there and say something. That tells me God's inspecting how you live. Your work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed of corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So, you know, we were redeemed, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things, and we ought not to be seeking or living in corruptible things or for corruptible things. We ought not to be living in ways that defile the temple of God. And yet, you know, popular Christianity, quote unquote, thinks that you can live in those things and it don't really matter as long as you're sincere. And you have, you know, you, you have this, you know, you have a heart. For God. You know, the Bible has a has perimeters for dress and undress. You know. They're very plain. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure that's in the Old Testament. Well, there's some of it in the New too. But even if it is in the Old Testament, the more, and this is where, see, they digress. They say the moral law of God, or all the law is out. But God never changed his mind about adultery. He's never changed his mind about drunkenness. He's never changed his mind about homosexuality. He's never changed his mind about lying. He's never changed his mind about murder. He's never changed his mind. Those are moral laws, and the moral law of God will never change from Old to New Testament. In fact, most of the moral law is repeated in the New. And in fact, you know, the, the, the law that Jesus talked about in the New is more stringent than the Old. Because the Old talked about the act, the New talks about thinking it in your heart. The spirit of the law. Not just the letter of the law. So friendship with the world. Sure, there needs to be this, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to conform, to allow you to transform my life, to bring it into conform to thee.
whatever that is. To put off the sinful pleasures of this old world. So, you know, these are some things that we, you know, as, as God's people, as we think about revival, reviving our hearts, these are things that be hindrances, but we need to open our hearts and minds. We need to submit ourselves to God, and by submitting yourselves to God, resisting the devil, the way to get rid of the devil is to submit yourself to God. And draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, if you're seeking purity in your heart, it's also going to show on the outside. Cleanse your hands. That's outward. Clean hands comes from a pure heart. And so so as we as we prepare for meetings may we prepare our hearts by seeking his face seeking him to speak and challenge and encourage us into a closer walk with him. You know one of the things that Amos 3.3 says this, Can two walk together except you agreed? You know, if you would walk with God, you must draw nigh to God and align yourself with Him. God's not going to align Himself with you. We already heard tonight that God is not a man that He should repent. He's not a man He's going to lie. He's not a man He's going to repent. No. God is perfect. He's not going to change. If we want to walk with God, we have to draw nigh to Him. We have to draw nigh to Him. And we have to pursue His likeness. His likeness. Be in agreement with Him. May the Lord help us. May the Lord encourage and challenge our hearts as we look forward to the Word of God challenging us.